I appreciate that so much. So good to uh, have this opportunity uh, this morning to just sing these hymns and praises to the Lord's name. Uh, I always love the time of our uh, song service because uh, that's when everybody gets to participate together. And uh, that's when we're all uh, declaring truth to one another. But uh, This morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, if you would join me in, in turning there, if you have your Bible with you uh, this morning. Uh, one, of the, one of the great things about this passage that we're going to look at this morning is that it, it gives us a very clear picture of what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ, because it, it describes the change that takes place. And so it, it actually, this passage will lay out for us uh, not only what, what we were before Christ, but it's going to lay out very simply what he did for us. And then we have the privilege of then seeing what we are today, if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so all three of those aspects will be in this passage as we look at it together today. So Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 1, if you follow along with me. Then you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved." and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do ask that you would bless this time as we look into your word. Father, we ask that you would challenge our hearts and allow us to be sensitive to your guidance and direction. Father, may we be willing to submit what we think to what you actually say. Father, may our desires come and become subservient to your desires. Father, help us to align our thoughts with your thoughts. Father, we pray that through it all you would be glorified. Lord, we ask that this time would be one in which we humble ourselves before the King of this world. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you uh, think about what uh, uh, certain reading material? You know, different people like to read different things. Maybe you have a particular genre that you like to read. Uh, one of those areas which I, I have found interesting at different times of my life is the area of reading biographies. And, um, I, you know, I, there's, a, uh, there's a great uh, biography about a missionary named Patton. I, I say Patton, when you think in military. <laughs> but, but uh, he was actually a missionary to uh, an island called the, the New, New Her uh, Herbides Island. And uh, it's a great, great biography about him. But all of these biographies will give us an account of 
you know, somebody's life. What happened during their life? Here's what they were like. Here's the different things that they did. Uh, maybe there's some big moment in their life where something happened and then they were changed and different. You know, normally there's some climax or drama, even, even in biographies, there's something in there. Uh, we, we could actually call this passage that we read this morning here in Ephesians 2 a, a biography of the Christian life. And uh, that, that's why I, I really like digging into this passage because it lays out, lays out for us what the Christian life should look like for every believer. And in fact, what it does look like for every believer. Um, it, it provides that blueprint. And, um, you know, which, which Christian are you talking about? Well, all Christians. This is the biography for all Christians in terms of what their life looks like. And, and so it, it starts with the beginning. And, and in the very beginning, it's uh, answering this question of what we were. What, what is a Christian like before they're a Christian? And it answers that question right here in verse 1. Uh, what it says, and, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And he said, what was life like before we were Christian? Well, it wasn't life, it was death. Right? You, were, you were dead. And uh, that's the, the description here. So um, let's, let's look at this verse together. It starts in verse 1. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What does that mean, you hath he quickened? It means you were made alive. Right? You were made alive. So what, what was happened before? We were, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We did not have eternal life, and instead, God made us alive. Okay, so as we look back in what life was like before we were alive, we were dead, and we were dead specifically in the midst of trespasses and sins. What's a sin? Sin is a, to miss the mark, right? It's a transgression. It means that God has set up his perfect standard, and we fall short of that perfect standard. And by the, the very nature of, of how we were born, we were born in that way, dead in our trespasses and sins. So, well, when I was a baby, I hadn't sinned yet. You, you were born as a, as a child of Adam. You were born as a child of, of what we would call humankind, one who was born in the, the midst of a, a sinful people and with a sin nature that was passed down to you. And what would happen? Well, the way that changes is we are made alive, right? We are made alive. So that's the, that's the terrible state that we're born into. Romans 7, 24 puts it this way. Paul describes it, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body, uh, from the body of this death? Right? I hate sin, is what he's crying out there. I, I absolutely hate sin. I, I hate this body that I'm in where, where I am drawn to things that don't please God. And, and, I, and I think even believers relate to that concept because why? We're, we're not perfect, right? We're not, we have not been fully changed into the image of Christ. That is yet to come. That won't happen until we're glorified. We, we understand and we, even as believers, recognize the remnants of, of this, this old man, this, this old nature, this sin nature that is still in us, even in spite of being made alive. So let, let's break down and describe how corrupt this is. Well, we're, we're corrupt from without. We're, we're actually, there are things outside that corrupt us. Uh, verse 2 describes it. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So two things, two ways we're corrupted from without. One is we're corrupted from, because of the world, the world around us. Say what? You're saying we don't like the world. I, I like trees. They're beautiful. I like taking hikes. That, that's not what's being described here, right? This, this is not just talking about grass and trees and dirt and all the things that we see around us. This is talking about the world system, a system in place that, that is guided and directed by Satan. It's one in which Satan is king, and, and he is controlling it, and his desire is to take people, humans, and enslave them and draw them away from God. His desire is to see your destruction and your end, and this is a corruption that comes from without. And it's one that has enslaved and ensnared everyone who does not know the Lord, who is dead in their trespasses and sins. Not only did we walk according to the world, but we walked under that authority of Satan. That was the second part there, the prince of the power of the air. You know, we, we often don't think about, you know, we, we, we talk about Jesus and we'll, we'll say things like, well, well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, Jesus is Lord, things like that. You know, who, God is on the throne, God is in charge. But how often do we actually stop to think about who was our Lord when we were an unbeliever? If we don't know, if we don't, if, if we never knew the Lord, right? And if you're a believer today, you, you understand that, that at some time, before you knew Jesus as your Savior, you had another Lord. You had another one who was in charge. And when we were like that, when we were in that position of being dead in our trespasses and sins, we had a Lord. We, we weren't without authority. And, and if today you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, whether you know it or not, you have a Lord. He's the prince of the power of the air. His name is Satan. You do his bidding whether or not you even know it. Right? You, you may think, well, it's just what I want to do. Well, let me help you. He, he is informing what you want to do. He is using others to inform what you want to do if you don't know Jesus. Jesus saw and looked out over humanity when they were caught in the midst of their trespasses and sin, in the midst dead in their trespasses of sin. Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. What happened? Jesus looks out at the crowd. He sees this group of people. They don't know him as their Savior. And he is moved with compassion. He is moved on the inside why? Because they are not under his leadership. They are not under his care. They're under the leadership of Satan. That ought to cause us to be moved to compassion. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, there are people who have never believed. They've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save, save them. And that was all of us at one time. Right? It's, it's not as though we look out and say, well, look at those 
terrible people, you know, whatever. They're not like us. That's not what this is saying. What was Jesus' response? He looked out and saw people who did not know him personally as their Savior. And, and he looked out and he didn't say, oh, I hate them. I can't stand them. Get away. He, he, he was moved with compassion. Why? Because he desired their good. He desired change. He desired to see them actually have a good shepherd, to be under a good leader, someone who was not bent on their destruction, someone who cared for them and loved them and wanted their very best. See, that's Jesus. What we were was dead. We had to deal with all of those things where we are corrupted from without you know, we also were corrupt from within. We didn't have to wait for it to come from the outside to change us. We actually were corrupt from within. It's described in, in this way, verse 3 puts it this way, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. See, it's not just them out there. There are things that, that believers understand that we were just like those who were without Christ. And it wasn't just because Satan had blinded us. It wasn't just because the, the world system had drawn us away from Jesus. It's because we were broken inside. We were born broken. We fulfilled the lusts of our flesh, not anybody else's. My broken, sinful flesh. I don't have to look to anybody else to blame. I fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Galatians 5:19 describes those works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these: adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and if that's not enough, he ends with, and such like, so that just means the list could keep going, of the which I tell you before, and as I also told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What's the result of all this corruption? Well, we, we are what it describes here at the end of verse 3, by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. There's good news, right? That's the bad news. That's, for believers, that's the former life. For unbelievers, that's the current life, but there's good news. There's hope. You don't have to stay there. And that's because it's not just about what we were. It's about what he did. Verse 5 describes that, even as we were dead in sins, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace, you are saved. What happened there? He made us alive. What did he do? He saved us. He saved us. Colossians 1, verse 12, puts it this way. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption, how? Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 
See, it's not much fun to look back on who we were when we were dead in those trespasses and sin. It's not much fun even to think about friends and family who don't know the Lord, who are caught in the midst of Satan's snare and trap. But you know, it's really great to look to our Savior, to look at what He did when He saved us, to think of the one who made us alive. So glad I'm not dead in my trespasses and sins anymore. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, it just means I'm forgiven. Praise God for that. He made us alive. Not only that, verse 6 goes on. It says, He hath raised us up together. He raised us up. Just like Jesus was raised from the grave, so too has He raised believers up from being dead in their trespasses and sin. We have the beautiful picture of that when we think of, of baptism and our baptistries back there. What, do we, what happens? It's a it's a picture, right, of somebody who goes down into the water. What's that describing? Well, just like Jesus went down into the grave, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. But you don't stay there, right? Especially as long as the pastor doesn't drop you. You don't stay there. Right? You, you, you rise up again out of the water. Why? Because you're symbolizing that you've been made alive. It's a portrait of what Christ has already done on the inside. It's a picture. It's a symbol. He's raised us up. So too have believers. Just as Jesus was risen from the grave, so too believers have been risen up to walk in newness of life. Verse 6 goes on. Not only has He raised us up together, but He has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, after the resurrection, Jesus didn't stay on the earth. He ascended up into heaven. We've seen that portrait together not too long ago in, in the book of Mark. Uh, as as, uh, as we, we considered uh, the, the ascension or the very place of ascension that would happen. Um, and so we'll be actually looking in the future about the actual event itself. We foreshadowed that when Jesus climbed that mountain, taking his inner circle of disciples up there where he would ascend in the future from the book of Mark. But we too can look forward to what is being described here. It actually says here in verse 6 that he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Imagine being enthroned in heavenly places, sitting down with Christ Jesus. We are actually described as being in Christ Jesus in our union with Him, we have every right to partake of heavenly blessings. Why? Because we're part of the family of God. Once someone goes from, from being dead, who's made, is being made alive, they're adopted into the family of God. They get the heavenly blessings which come from that. And they get to enjoy some of those blessings even today. Now, our full understanding and our, our full opportunity for, to partake of those blessings is yet future, right? It will yet be realized. Uh, if we're here today, we look forward to that day, uh, if we know the Lord Jesus, when we will be glorified, when we'll be changed, when we will be in His presence for all eternity. That will be the full fulfillment of that. But I'm so thankful that there are heavenly blessings that we get to enjoy even today. Ephesians 1, 
Verse 19 and 20 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. It's a great promise, right? Even today we get to enjoy that greatness and power that God has put on display. When Jesus not only went to the grave, but was resurrected, and not only that, but ascended into heaven. Have you ever considered that God the Father is allowing you to experience that kind of power in your life as a believer today? How do we get that? Well, part of the way that we experience that is because once we trust Christ as our Savior, we're given the Holy Spirit. Literally, the Bible describes that as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that a wonderful thing, to have Christ in us? You think about the power and strength and ability of Christ. Now, do, do I allow Christ to live out through my life perfectly? No, right? Too often I get in the way. But, but when we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, we have the guidance and the direction of Christ himself to help us through the challenges of life. Sometimes you hear that called resurrection power. It's a wonderful thing. So what's the end result of, of this when, when we think about what Christ did for us? Well, verse 7 describes that result. Verse 7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Let's put that, break that again uh, for us, right? In the ages to come, in the future, he might actually show or display the riches of his grace. How is he going to show that? Well, what are the riches of his grace that are going to be displayed? Well, the kindness that he showed toward us through Christ Jesus. So, let's put it this way. What is actually on display here? Believers are. Christians are. We, we actually use the term, and you've probably heard this term, trophies of his grace. What does that mean? That, that means that if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you are worthy to be put on display. Why? Because you're so great? No, not because you're so great. Because God's workmanship is so good in you. Right? What, what He has done in you is so good. It, it is worthy for all to see. Now, uh, I don't know about you, if you uh, maybe have a good sports team that you like or something like that. I'm a, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. And uh, it wasn't too long ago that I had to actually say that the last time that the Chiefs had, a, had, had won the Lombardi Trophy, the trophy of the NFL, was all the way back in Super Bowl IV. But now we just wanted, the year before last, I just wanted to point that out to you. So now we have two of them. Why, why are you telling me about this, Pastor? Well, what happened? The, the Chiefs went out on the field. They put in work. And they put in a lot of work. And they earned a trophy for that win. Right? They got a trophy because of it. And 
And so they, they have that on display somewhere, probably at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. They, they probably have it on display there. I'm, I'm guessing that's where it's at. And I'm a good Chiefs fan. I, you know, I, I think I'm an awesome Chiefs fan. I, I follow them. I keep up with things. They had the draft this week. I paid attention to who they drafted. I try to pay attention to what's going on. And so what I'm thinking in my mind is that I should just write them a letter and say, hey, would it be okay if I borrow that Lombardi trophy and just put it in my house for a week, and then I will send it back to you? Would that be okay? I, I think people would love to come to my house and see the Lombardi trophy. I, I could probably charge admission. I mean, it, it's that good. Would, would, and I'm an awesome fan. Would you just let me take that trophy and I'll put it on display in my house? Now, I have a, a suspicion that they would probably say no. Right? I'm pretty sure that they would do that. Why would they say no? Well, for one, I didn't do the work. Right? I, I, I didn't do the work. It's not my trophy. It, it's their trophy. They did the work. They, they put in all the effort. They, they did all those things on the field. They won the games. That's, that's how they got the trophy. we think about us being trophies of his grace, do we get the trophy? <laughs> no, no, we, we are the trophy. Why? Because we did the work? No, because he did the work. He did the work in us. And, and so when, when we talk about our, ourselves be, being a, a trophy of God's grace, it's not because we're great. It's because he is. And what's being put on display isn't ourselves, it is his workmanship in us. You see, the, the wonder of it is not, it is not us. It, it's, it's the created product because God did it. Right? You imagine, uh, <laughs> imagine going somewhere and, and seeing a, a piece of art. Right? Imagine and, and seeing that artwork. Now, you know, it may be canvas, and, and there's paint on it and different things like that, and, and you know, you, you may just stare at it and think, wow, this is just so beautiful. This is incredible. Um, well, what if all those parts were just separated out, right? The canvas was just sitting there. The paint was sitting there on the ground beside it. You know, it, it wasn't all put together. W would you stare at that canvas and that paint and say, boy, this is just an incredible piece of artwork? No, right? Why? The, the work hasn't been done. Who does the work? God does the work. When you're looking at it, you're not really praising canvas and paint. You're, you're praising the one who did the work. You're praising the artist. Kind of a funny story with that recently. I don't know if you heard the account. I think it was uh, over in Europe somewhere. But an artist had, had created this large mural wall and as part of the exhibit, uh, when they displayed their art, they also included the, the paint cans and the different things like this. And it was kind of this modern art with the splash, you know, paint, things like that. Well, this couple, they were museum goers. They came up and they saw this thing with all the paint splashed. And then they saw the paint cans over on the side. And they thought it was an interactive exhibit. 
And so they went and they dipped their brush in the paint can and they, they came up to the wall. They started painting different things. And then they, they left and they found out later that, no, that, that wasn't a, a do-it-yourself master. That was actually a, a wonderful piece of art that somebody had created. And, and they were absolutely horrified. Uh, they, they hadn't meant to deface this artwork. Um, but they, they wanted to participate in the work. Uh, but it wasn't their work to participate in. It was, it was God's work. And when we're talking about our salvation, this is a work that is completely God's. There is nothing that we can do in the midst of, of, of salvation to, to save ourselves. When we are in the midst of our, our trespasses and sins, when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, what happens? We are made alive by God. He makes us alive. How does that work? Well, the Holy Spirit works on the life. God draws that individual. He, he, the gospel is presented. They hear the truth. And they believe. And God regenerates them. He changes them. He makes them new. He brings them to life. See, that's the working of God. How does all that happen? Well, God draws and man responds. Right? God lays out before them the salvation. But all the work of salvation is of God. How do we know it? Well, we can describe it this way. This passage goes on and describes not only what we were, dead in our trespasses and sins, what he did when Jesus saved us, but it describes what we are. And uh, we can describe it this way, his workmanship. Right? He's the one who's worked in us. Verse, verse 8 describes it this way. For by grace are you saved through faith, how that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We need to recognize, first of all, that this salvation that we have comes by grace through faith. What is grace? Well, that's giving us something that we don't deserve. Think about your time as an unbeliever. What merit did you have in and of yourself to earn salvation, to earn heaven? None whatsoever. God gave you a free gift, a gracious gift. And how was it received? Well, through faith. You, you accepted it, you believed, if you're born again. How did it happen? Because we're so good? No, that's where the rest of the verse goes on. It's not of yourselves. It's not because of how wonderful you are. It's not because you somehow deserve it. But it's the gift of God. Free gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to get it. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't even afford to pay for it. And that's what's described here. It's not by our works that we can gain this. Isaiah 64, 6 puts it this way, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. What's it say? If you wanted to earn your salvation, if you wanted to come before God and say, God, let, let me do something to gain salvation, 
Let me, let me offer you something. Your very, very best would be a filthy rag. I don't know what you think you can buy with a filthy rag, but let me help you. It's not much, <laughs> if anything at all. And it's certainly not salvation. We're saved by God's grace through faith. And that reminder in verse 10 is that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See, this is where our responsibility comes in. God saved us. That was entirely His works. When we think of what we were when we were dead in trespasses and sins, how did we get out of that state? Well, it's what He did. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and He rose again the third day. He paid the penalty for our sins. Who did that work? Not us. He did. And then what happened? Well, we have what we are today. How did we get here? Well, it's by His grace and His grace alone through faith. We are His workmanship. But God doesn't desire His trophies of grace to simply be stuck up on a shelf and left to never do anything again. Verse 10 describes our responsibility before him. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, what, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, God has called believers to a new life, something that, that he would have for us to do. He wants us to do good works. He wants us to do those things that are pleasing to him and honoring to him. To, to lift up his name, to encourage others. You know, we're, we're not simply to be left on the shelf, but we're to be serving the Lord. I wonder this morning, as you think through what God has done, from where you were, what he did, to where we are today, and knowing those blessings, would you consider what God would have for you now? As you think about good works, right, that God has called you to do things that please Him, what, what happens sometimes if we're in the midst of, of doing good works? We, we get tired, right? You ever get tired? I get tired. This week, I'm tired. I'm just being honest. This week, I'm tired. It was one of those weeks. It's a tiring week. And what happens sometimes when, when we get in the midst of being tired? <laughs> we start forgetting everything that we just talked about, what we were, what he did, what we are, and all of those changes that God has brought about in our lives. And we start looking at ourselves, right? And, and if I'm not looking at God's work anymore and, and I'm just looking at me, that can be really, really discouraging. And often what happens, we... We stop doing the things that we were created to do. We were created for good works. You know, that, that ought to cause us to pause. Anytime when, 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 when we think and we look out and, and, and just serving the Lord starts becoming tiresome and weary. We, we, we ought to look back at, at our lives and our hearts and say, God, what would you have for me? How could I serve you more? How could I honor you more with my life? And sometimes that's not adding another thing, right? So, sometimes that, that is just simply 
going back and getting, getting with the Lord, right? Sometimes the answer is just do something else. Sometimes that's not the answer, right? Sometimes the answer is I need to get back in his word and look at my Savior for a little bit and get my eyes on my God and start thinking about his wonderful workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, God hath, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in him. I hope that as you press on with what God has called you to, that you will do so with joy. There's nothing worse than somebody who has gone through these blessings, who has been changed from what they were, knowing what Christ did for them and, and what they are today, and their discouragement. <laughs> there is nothing worse. You know, it, it tears everybody down. I encourage you, take joy in what God has done and serve Him joyfully for His glory. He is worthy of our works. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the power that you brought about in us. As you took us from what we were, having a Savior who died for us, what you did, to where we are today. Father, we're so grateful that we are trophies of your grace, not because we're wonderful, but because of what you've done. So, Lord, help us to use what you've given us for your glory. Help us not to forget all the blessings that we have in Christ. Father, we pray that you would use our lives to bring more glory to yourself. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll give you a chance to respond. As the band begins to play, I just want to ask you this one question. Did you ever say that my eyes have come off Christ too much? I've been too focused on the work, the job, and not the joy that comes in serving Jesus. So many hands. Just slip up your hand if that's you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. Many hands. Thank you. Many hands. Just ask you if you'd go before the Lord right now, just while we're paused, and just ask him to help you restore that joy, help you get your eyes fixed back on him. Father, we need your help. Father, we pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on what you've done for us, that we would see your workmanship, Father, that we would see your grace on display, out of a heart of love and obedience and joy, we would serve you for your glory. Father, we do pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.